0: Welcome into the corner three, taking you around the arc of college basketball from the NAAC to the Pac 12, the WCC to the SWAT. We cover it all now on 93 7, the ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. Welcome into the corner three. On 937 to ticket. Kicking off a ticket weeknights, no speed and power tonight. Be got me. Then you'll have the captain, Brashon Jackson, with Heart of a Husker coming up from eight to nine o'clock tonight. Or so 402-464-5685. The number if you have any thoughts on our show, or you can uh, comment on our starter Heyman Jewelers live video stream, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, all up and rolling for you, as is Allo Channel 9. 9- Fifty-one. We're doing things a little different today. Uh, it's game week for Husker football. If you are a 93.7 the ticket listener, surely you know that most definitely you know that. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk football here on the corner three. That's right. Not a basketball edition of the podcast. We'll do that again next week. But for now, we're jumping right into football season. Matt disappeared from the stream. Uh, but Landon is here, so I'll welcome him. And the reason we're doing football is because Landon, you, and Matt, when he gets in here, both spent extensive time covering this Husker football program. You graduate from Nebraska. I'm sure you're just as frustrated by the the program as the rest of us are sometimes, but you guys have ties to Nebraska. That's why we're bringing you in on game week to talk Husker football.
1: Yeah, um, we, we do indeed. Um, I... Uh, guess to state my background here, uh, I covered the Husker football program from, gosh, 2020 uh, was my first season, the, so that would have been, yeah, the fall of 2020, uh, the COVID year was my first year, um, and I also covered the team in 2021, uh, which ran through spring 2022, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited um, to break down this season because there's just so much to discuss.
0: Matt has joined us. Matt, you also have covered Husker football. Uh, you, you were kind of down field level quite a bit, if I remember, running some 40-yard dashes. Yeah,
2: I ran a few of those in my time. Um, yeah, I was on the Nebraska football beat from 2017 to 2019. So, yeah, they had made a bowl game all but one of the last f- – they missed a bowl game once in the last 50 years before I was on the beat, and they haven't been on one since, so. It was, uh, Ooh, I, I got that last year of Mike Riley. And then all the the fun of the Scott Frost era before Landon took over there.
0: It's completely our fault. That's what we're telling you listeners out there. It's up to the three of us. Uh, we are the ones that curse Nebraska football. Sorry. We didn't mean to, it just happened. Well, we've only got about an hour of stuff to get to and loads more content than just to fit in an hour. So guys, let's just jump right in. Um, Starting from the beginning, right? We go all the way back to early December. Uh, Nebraska had just beaten Iowa. Uh, Mickey Joseph not going to be the next head coach. We knew that. The report leaks. He's on college game day. Matt Rule, the next head coach of Nebraska. Your guys' first reaction, uh, Matt, we'll start with you and then Landon. Your first reaction when you heard the news, Matt Rule was hired as the head football coach of Nebraska.
2: Kind of. Like, I wasn't completely sure on it mainly because you know i follow nfl pretty closely and you know things really went off the wires uh there in uh, off the rail there in carolina like he was writing a manifesto and just a lot of weird i don't know the team wasn't good but then again i had to you know tell myself you know they didn't have the quarterback ownership there is a mess like I don't know, Carolina fans still absolutely despise him. And that's still kind of funny when, you know, I see all the Husker Twitter love on Matt Rule combined with the the Panther Twitter hate. It's uh, it's quite the combination, but I was just kind of, I don't know, a little more skeptical, but again, I, I thought the Scott Frost hire was going to be a home run. So I, I think I was going to be skeptical on anyone they hired. And honestly, I think, at the time, I thought it was like, well, that's better than like a, a Lance Leipold hire or some of the other or even a Mark Stoops, honestly, for some of the names that were floated out there. It was it was a logical conclusion and made a lot more sense than some of the other options.
1: Yeah, for a lot of what Nebraska was targeting to specifically, like going back to last offseason in the college football world, the coaching carousel. I don't know. Didn't really rotate as much as a lot of people have thought. I feel like two of the bigger targets, like in Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman, names that like were really, really strongly floated around Nebraska for quite some time. It felt like uh, seeing that both of them uh, made long-term commitments to their respective universities, I believe, uh, is you know something that kind of threw you know this search a little bit for a loop. Uh, you know, dating back to that initial press conference that Trev Alberts had, one of the main sticking points for me was that rule i believe was the 1a uh, was the terminology used we never will find out who 1b was there's lots of speculation that it might have been luke fickle or somebody else who, you know who knows but i mean i think the important thing to consider with matt rule and all of this is that plenty of folks have done the nfl route and failed and bounced back and been fine. Um, You touched on it, Matt, but the the Panthers organization isn't exactly the uh, shining beacon of stability or success, uh, really, in the National Football League. They've largely been, since 2010, kind of irrelevant, except for the Cam Newton MVP year where they went 15-1 and and had that perfect assortment and and collection of veterans. But the, the Panthers now are in this, like, heavy rebuilding phase and they were kind of trying to masquerade it as a competitive football team, but all sorts of weird stuff. They had the heart and soul of their defense, Luke Keekley retired. Like it is just they're they they've been in a weird spot. So I don't know really how many coaches would have been successful with that mess. Uh not mess, but lack of an ideal situation. If we if we've got time, I mean, you know. I wish I had the list of all the quarterbacks that started a game for him in Carolina, but I'm sure it's not a pleasant one. So, I mean, rule is a program builder. That's like the heart, what he is. He has made his hay at the college level going into programs that haven't experienced very much success recently. And, you know, calling a spade a spade that is what Nebraska is right now, a program that hasn't had very much success recently, building them up, making them a national contender and, you placing them right in the upper echelon again of college football. And that's a place where Nebraska desperately needs to be. And I think, I don't know, it's a proven commodity. And for as bad as things ended in Carolina, and you're right, Matt, the Twitter hate towards anything Matt Rule related. When Whenever Nebraska fan says something positive, it's an army of Panthers fans being like, this guy is the worst thing ever. But I don't know. I mean, I I was pretty enthused about it. I think throughout this coaching search, for me, Matt Rule made the most sense. And, uh, you know, now that we've gotten through the spring and summer here and are approaching game week, um, it's kind of time to let the offseason noise die down and see what the product is like on the field. I don't know. I mean, for all the available options, Rule just made the most sense to me.
0: Uh, to your point about the starting quarterbacks, his first year in 2020, he had 15 games of Teddy Two Gloves, Teddy Bridgewater, and one of P.J. Walker. You just next got year, by the Bears. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, 2021, 11 games of Sam Darnold, five of uh, washed up Cam Newton, one of P.J. Walker. And in 2022, six with Baker Mayfield, six with Sam Darnold, and five with P.J. Walker. So not necessarily a pretty sight, but I think that's telling because Matt rule never got to pick his quarterback in the NFL. He handpicks his quarterback in college. Casey Thompson essentially shown the door. It wasn't, I don't know, ever given a true chance to compete. It seems like Jeff Sims was anointed as soon as he committed to Nebraska, but Matt rule handpicked him. So we'll reverse the order Landon, starting with you, Jeff Sims, what do you make of Matt rule targeting him specifically to be Nebraska's quarterback for his first team?
1: Yeah, Jeff Sims is a very, very versatile guy. Um, He, you know, the issue or knock, I think, um, a lot of people look at the completion percentage. I know Jeff Sims hasn't exactly lit the world on fire, but I mean, and this is just something that's going to be important to consider, too, like in the grand scheme of how this Nebraska football team is going to operate is, I mean, there are a lot of moving pieces here. It's a whole entire new offensive scheme being installed. It's a whole entire new defensive scheme being installed. And on kind of, kind of unlike the coaching carousel, the transfer portal is always hot in the off season. And there were a ton of really, really interesting quarterback options available. So going with a guy like Sims, at least like physically is quite a bit different from you know what we've had the last few years with adrian martinez and then logan smothers a little bit uh sims is a bit smaller of a guy um a bit more he he is a scrambler to some extent little mobile but i mean it's it's a different you know it's a different it's a different skill set and it's a different sort of guy so the fact that I don't know. With all of the options and avenues Nebraska could have gone, the fact that they've stayed with a guy that's sort of a dual threat, but a little bit different, um, is really interesting to me. And it kind of just speaks volumes a little bit on what this thing's going to look like in, you know, come the season and the kind of sort of schemes, plays, concepts that looked around. But I've always been a fan of Jeff Slims. I think he's a competitor, he's gritty, and I think he's going to be a pretty good fit for what Nebraska's trying to do this year. So
2: yeah i don't know what to make of him um i mean it's hard to you know kind of the same with matt rule in carolina where it's like how do you separate you know just organizational dysfunction from you know personal struggles with him i mean the last few years have been pretty ugly at georgia tech and i mean you didn't stay healthy either these last couple years uh didn't win a lot of games, but then again, Georgia Tech just wasn't a good team, especially just trying to, you know, move on from the triple option was quite the struggle. So I think he, he does have improved talent around him, but I just was kind of surprised that they, you know, showed Casey the door, especially, you know, I thought he was a, I thought he, he'll go down as probably one of the more underrated quarterbacks Nebraska's had and in recent years, I mean, when he was playing, he was, I mean, he was winning them games. Like he, he led a game winning drive on a big 10 primetime game. Granted it was Rutgers. I mean, he got them (laughs) that big lead in Iowa. Like he, yeah, he got, they would have, they would have probably been like a one and 11 team last year without Casey Thompson. If, if even, I mean, especially you saw it was behind him. So I was, Kind of surprised that he was, you know, never really given a chance to, hey, like, you want one more year at this? But then again, I remember that that first year of Mike Riley where they tried to, you know, have Tommy Armstrong run Mike Riley's offense. And it was, yeah, yeah, Austin's yeah. face says it all. Yeah. It was rough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: so I'm just kind of cautiously optimistic, but also – like, again, I, I hope he's fun. Like, I enjoyed watching Adrian Martinez. I, he was a great guy to cover, too. So, I, yeah, I hope that that Sims, you know, doesn't put up numbers worse than C.J. Beathard. Uh, <laughs> but I I don't know. I just, it really depends on a lot of the stuff around him. But I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, which is kind of how I feel about everything at this point.
0: Fair enough. The thing with Jeff Sims to me is he and Anthony Richardson are in very similar boats, and I have to mm. root for essentially two of the same quarterback. I'm willing to give Anthony Richardson um, a little bit of an edge for being more polished, um, given, given the breakdowns I've seen. I still think Jeff Sims has some work to do mechanically, um, especially with his consistency in the pocket. My worry, though, I'm glad you brought up Adrian Martinez, is that if things don't go well for Nebraska offensively, especially early, they'll fall back on the trap of get the ball to our quarterback and make him make something happen. Right? With both these guys, with Richardson and Sims, I think that's the temptation, as good of athletes as they are, the fact they've shown they can do it all in high school. The worry for me is that Marcus Satterfield doesn't stay the course. We've seen so many Nebraska offenses get blown off course in the first or second quarter when things don't go well. And for a guy that has issues, like you mentioned, Landon, with the completion percentage so far, uh, thrown his fair share of interceptions and, incomplete, uh, interceptions and fumbles. The worry to me is that he gets worn down by the end of the year, like we've seen all sorts of other Husker quarterbacks. I know they're trying to get to a bowl game this year, but I'd like to see some persistence and try to see some growth out of an offense that maybe it does struggle against a top 10 national defense like Minnesota was last year. Maybe it struggles with athleticism at Colorado but it takes those lessons into the rest of the non-conference and beyond because the quarterback can't do it all, right? There's a lot of unproven pieces around it, but all of that's a long way to say I hope Jeff Sims doesn't feel like he has to put the weight of the world on his shoulders like it seems Nebraska quarterbacks have so often in the recent past.
2: I think you you put it perfectly there, Austin, in that at where Nebraska is as a program, they don't need – They don't, they really don't need and probably won't get a Heisman contending level performance from their quarterback. But a lot of these teams that, you know, make that jump from mediocrity to even just seven and five, eight and four, it's not always like the quarterback is elite. It's just they do enough to get the job done. And everyone else, especially, you know, your offensive line and your run game and your defense, you know, play like a top 25 team. You don't need the quarterback to do everything like Adrian Martinez was asked to do. You just need him to, you know, throw more touchdowns and interceptions uh, get the offense in the end zone when they need, when they absolutely need to. And then just, you know, let the rest of the team, you know, shine at what they do best. And I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how that, that chemistry develops over the years. Cause I've, I've seen it with other programs where, you know, the right transfer comes in and You know, he doesn't like the world on fire, but he does enough for the team to win, you know, eight or nine games. And I don't know if the rest of the team's ready for that, especially, you know, still a lot of questions to see how this offensive line looks. But, you know, Sims could be that kind of guy. You know, I I think honestly, like the guy I'm thinking of right now is is Terry Wilson at Kentucky. You know, who's the guy before Will Levis. That was 2018. He comes in and they went from a seven and five team to ten and three, and he didn't light the world on fire, but you know he made enough plays to you know win some pretty big games. So that's kind of you know what I would expect or hope for, you know, best case scenario with Sims.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting that I like that comparison too. I really do because that 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 one kind of hits the nail on the head. I mean, for Nebraska, especially, you've got to really kind of take inventory of what went wrong. And a big portion of what has gone wrong is the court, the health of the quarterback position, particularly late in the season. I mean, gosh, it hasn't been every year uh, or it's felt like almost every year there's been some sort of late season injury at the quarterback position, um, whether it was under frost, uh, you know, the, the end spell under Mickey Joseph where Casey was really banged up. Um, you really And one of the big differences and one of the things I'm most interested in in in, in Satterfield's offense this year is what all exactly Jeff Sims is going to be asked to do. Because while Jeff Sims is a guy that can run, you know, he's never been like a consistently, you know, 10, 15 carries a game sort of guy by choice. Um, He does have, I mean, he's got, you know, Oodles of forty-plus yard rushing games on ten-plus carries, but if Nebraska really wants to make a go at this thing and go, you know, seven and four, eight and five, maybe push the barriers of the top twenty-five from time to time, it's clear that why not giving Casey Thompson an opportunity to stay and compete for the job? That the eggs are in the Jeff Sims basket here. Uh, I know people like Trevor Purdy; he seems like a fine dude, a great quarterback, but he's had opportunities here uh and you know the results have been mixed at best so like until you know maybe they maybe it's a guy that's been recruited and signed already until the heir apparent makes himself known right now this 2023 season hinges on jeff sims being able to complete it fully and nebraska needs to be really smart because past you know seasons have, have taught us that it's been quite a challenge to keep the quarterback healthy, whether that's been a result of not great offensive line play, not great running, uh, running game, which those two have been sort of correlated uh, or a little bit of everything. I mean, if Jeff Sims can't make, you know, 10 games happen this year due to injury, I mean, this Nebraska season might really, really be cooked um, even before it gets started. The big 10 isn't, easier and i'm sure we'll hit on this a little bit but the non-conference slate even and and the big 10 is full of landmines even though it might be perceived as a touch easier so i mean getting jeff sims healthy and through this season is almost like half the battle i feel like because for him to have that impact and you know be the sort of quarterback he's been at the collegiate level i mean he needs to stay healthy which you know has been a little bit of a hit or miss throughout his collegiate career at least at georgia tech so
2: And I will say, just to add on to that, Landon, I think one thing that does kind of help Sims and Nebraska with the potential to, you know, maybe stay healthy is some of these rule changes this year with, you know, the clock doesn't stop on every first down. And we already saw with week zero that the number of plays really dipped. And there's there's a lot of complaining about that, which I completely understand because it's less football and more commercials pretty much. But that also means not only, I mean, especially when you combine that with, you know, Nebraska, supposedly not going to be, you know, they're going to be huddling up, you know, not running as high tempo of an offense that they've been running the last five, six years, that, you know, he's going to have less, you know, more time on offense. That's going to slow things down. And then just especially between the opponents they're playing, like a Minnesota and some of these other Big Ten teams, and also with these rules, like there's not going to be nearly as many plays in – a game and in a season, so I'm I'm kind of serious or curious to see you know what effect that has on injuries, especially at at the quarterback position, because that that one way or another means probably you're going to be taking less hits than you would have you know a year ago, in a different scheme too.
0: I think that's important too for all the reasons you guys mentioned. I mean, your two to B is Heinrich Harberg who hasn't taken a snap. Jebba Purdy. Pretty... You know, got a little bit of the talk in the offseason. He's got to prove it. And it's just been so long since Nebraska's had, like, your NFL-style game manager backup quarterback who might not set the world on fire but can come in and take care of the ball. Some people thought Logan Smothers could be that. His arm wasn't terrible, but I don't think he was good enough to work in a big enough sample size to be that game manager. But the injuries, I think, also pop up when you look at the running game. Gabe Irvin coming off an injury is running back one over Anthony Grant. And if you look on the depth chart, It's Ramir Johnson at number two, not Anthony Grant, who uh, the coaching staff said fumbled a little bit too much for their liking. So it's Gabe Irvin who struggled with injuries. It's Ramir Johnson who's played four different roles on four different teams in his career. And then Anthony Grant, who rushed for almost 1,000 yards last year, might have taken a step back in practices. Uh, Landon, we'll start with you. What do you make of the running back competition and breakdown so far?
1: Well, firstly, I really like – that the fact that they have taken inventory of little mistakes like that and it's one of the biggest things that at least for me i've seemed to have noticed you know in matt rule's tenure here is that it seems like there's been a little bit more attention to detail on the little things um, be it stuff like turnovers be it stuff like taking the kicking game really much more seriously with this competition that is even lasting into the start of the season, it looks like, where we don't quite know who the starting kicker is going to be. Um, but in the running back room, I there's a lot of talent there. And, you know, talking about getting the pressure off of Jeff Sims a little bit, keeping him healthy. Uh, A great running game is one way to really, really help out your quarterback. And it's something that Nebraska's court have struggled with finding consistency in over the last few years. There are games where it pops and games where it really seems to just do the exact opposite of that. Um, Gabe Irvin is a fantastic story coming back, you know, from his injury. He looks great. Uh, (laughs) All the pictures you see on social media of him looking quite jacked. Um, So he's a, He's obviously, I mean, it's a lot of proven commodities and proven talents, though, between the three of them. I mean, between Irvin, Ramir Johnson, who's more of a receiving type guy, shiftier, imagine him in passing situations and third downs and all that, all those sorts of fun things. And Anthony Grant, who, as you said, Austin, was a thousand yard rusher last year. But that Anthony Grant is a guy, too, I think. I, I, I think that of those three guys, nobody's really a bell cow sort of person uh they tried anthony gran out in that last year and you could really tell uh, at least from my perspective towards the end of last year that that really started to wear him down just the sheer volume and amount of touches he was getting so i really think that balancing this out a little bit is going to be super super beneficial and you've got three really really talented players that can do a variety of different things that are going to make that room really really strong um but I'm yeah, the Ramir Johnson really intrigues me the most out of that group though. I mean, that's a guy you you mentioned at Austin. He's done a ton of different stuff uh, while he's been at Nebraska and he kind of wasn't really utilized a ton last year. I was kind of buried a little bit. Uh, I don't know whether or not that came to light that there was issues with the staff, whatever it may be. Um, I'm really hoping that he gets another go at this. and gets a really, you know, Gets to be a really significant part of the offense. So, I mean, of those of that group, I'm really looking forward to Ravier Johnson the most because that's a guy I've really enjoyed watching play since he's been at Nebraska. So,
2: yeah, I think you know when we talk about who the bell cow could be, I mean, just looking at physical builds, it makes sense that Gabe Irvin could you know grow into that role. It's he's just had some you know terrible breaks. I mean, between the the ACL injury freshman year. And then, you know, last year, I think he was dealing with turf toe, if I remember correctly. Um, And, you know, when he could have had some opportunity in the middle of the season, you know, after, you know, he had some decent runs at the end of that Oklahoma blowout loss, but, uh, you know, just never really got the full opportunity there. Um, So I've kind of got my eye on him, but also he, and with Gabe Irvin, he's someone that, you know, if I were on the beat still something I'd be very interested in, you know, maybe a potential story or something is just like, you know, Matt rule, there's all this talk that, you know, he's switched up the strength and conditioning program and he's doing all this focus on recovery and injury prevention. And I'm just curious to know, is Gabe Irvin, like has, how much of that has he bought into, like, how has he, you know, changed his own approach to, you know, conditioning and, you know injury prevention and things like that just, just and I'm nursing sure. you know those minor injuries so i i would be that that's something i'd like to learn more about and i'm sure it'll i mean it'll play out the way it does if you know some guys are just more injury prone than others so it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see if he can you know stay on the field and really finally have that breakout that he's been been waiting for you know ever since earning that starting position uh, Ramir Johnson is just kind of he's another guy that's just you know fascinating in that you know he's been around since 2019 on this team and just you know a lot of times gets counted out and then you know when he had big expectations last year he just got you know stashed away by the coaching staff for whatever reason and didn't really have that many opportunities until later in the year so I I don't know what exactly his role is going to be on this offense it's hard to see him I mean, yeah, maybe he's embraced a third down back role, but it's just when I think of a third down back, I don't, I don't know if he's the guy, but he also seems like a guy that, you know, could be pretty hard to keep off the field. And same with Anthony Grant. I'm curious to see how he, you know, responds to, you know, this adversity of getting put third on the depth chart and being out of a guaranteed playing time role where he clearly showed he's got the talent there, but you know is he going to buy into everything he was disciplined a lot in this this off season does he like that all that was was publicized even you know i'm not sure if previous staffs not just frost but like riley or polini if they would have made all of that that public as well so i just you know and i think back to that first year under frost in 2018 on the the b and it's like all the talk out of camp and out of the spring game was how greg bell looked the the real deal. And he had some, you know, he had some nice plays in those first couple games against like Colorado. And I think Troy, he even had a couple of plays, but I
0: remember we're driving to
2: Wisconsin for that game and there he is in the transfer portal less than, I think it was four games into the season. So mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm wondering, you know, are all these guys going to stick around uh, through the first uh, through this first year, or are we going to see some more roster attrition at, you know, a, a spot that, seems to have a lot of talent, just like it it seemed to in 2018.
0: <laughs> right. Austin Norman, Lane and Work, Matt Hardesty with you here on the corner three. Maybe it's the three and out today, the, the third and ten. I don't know. Something three related in football. Uh Doing a Husker football preview. If you have any thoughts, 402-464-5685. Or drop a comment, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, all up and running for you. Let us know what you think. We're going through the depth chart. Uh, The offensive line is going to have a lot to do, with uh, the running back success, Jeff Sims health, like we've talked about Matt. I think it was you that brought it up. So I'm going to ask you a question that I've been going back and forth on in my mind. Is it realistic to expect the offensive line to improve with basically the same group as we've seen from last year? I would hope
2: so. (laughs) That's honestly the way I would put it. I would, I would hope that, you know, these, these guys develop and the experience of, you know, a whole year of playing, even if you struggled, like, you know, that, that could help a lot. So I, I don't know. I'm not a, I don't consider myself to know much about how, how to improve and what makes an offensive line better. Like I'm, I'm getting bigger, but I'm not offensive line size. So I don't, <laughs> I don't understand the, the position, but I think it is telling that, you know, Matt rule kept Donovan Royola around and, you know, maybe some consistency could do, could do a lot of good for that group. But, you know, I feel like there is still a lot of pressure on the offensive line of, Hey, like you guys are the ones that really need to, you know, make this offense work. So, and if it, if the offensive line is a bad year, it's going to, everyone else is going to have a bad time too. So there, there's a lot of pressure there and I'm curious to see, you know, how they're handling that and, you know how both Raiola and Matt Rule, who seems to have a pretty good understanding of how offensive lines work and mm-hmm. how to, you know, coach good ones. Uh, I'm curious to see how that works this year.
0: For reference, before you give your thoughts, Landon, the changes are that Ben Scott is at center, taking over for Trent Hickson, and Nuri Weely is back, so he'll be playing right guard. Teddy Prohaska banged up; he's been wearing a yellow jersey a lot of camp. So right now, the line is Turner Corcoran at left tackle. Ethan Piper left guard, Ben Scott at center, Nuri New Wheatley at right guard, and Bryce Bedhardt at right tackle. Landon, go.
1: It's been a lot of the same group. I mean, that's kind of like the one constant in all this, which is weird. It's like a, that that position, the offensive line, and then you can look at some certain spots in the defense, like the defensive line. Some, linebacker spots and the safeties really stick out to me but on the offense it is really interesting that you know this line is back and this offensive line coach is back uh you know there was some thought or at least my first thought when um, Matt Rule decided to bring Donovan Rayola back was okay like this is some is somehow some way recruitment of his child related. Um, but it really, you know, once he, once he went to Georgia, you really have to sit back and evaluate. And you see, even in like the, the pieces that Husker football put out this off season, um, Ryola commands a lot of respect in that room. Um, it's a guy that played in the NFL seems like a lot of professionals have a really good opinion of him. In fact, it's funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day and, uh, and a random NFLer that was being interviewed was talking about some of the toughest dudes he played with. Uh, it was part of my take to drop the podcast. Ooh, I haven't but, listened to this one yet. There was a Donovan Rayola mention. I almost had to go back and be like, huh? Uh, it was a, a former Lions tight end. I think it was Tony Scheffler that that brought him oh, out, okay. I did hear out of the blue uh, <laughs> as like just a guy that he played with in the NFL that was just a nasty individual and, you know, a really successful player. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, and You know, random anecdotes aside, I mean, it is kind of telling, you know, the offensive line has been one of Probably it was like the main talking point of the Scott Frost era for things that went wrong, starting with um, you could usually kind of pencil in when I would write columns uh, and the offensive line did blank, blank and blank uh, that, you know, helped cost Nebraska the game and running it back with the same group. I do think provides a lot of value um, because it's a group that kind of took its lumps early on. I mean, specifically in reference to like Turner Corcoran and, and Bryce Benhart, those are guys that have been starting and playing for a couple of years and yeah, have taken their lumps, but you've kind of seen uh, with Nebraska football offensive lines, guys get better. I mean, like the shining example of that is Cam Jurgens, who gosh, he caught a ton of flack, probably just as bad or worse at guys like Turner Corcoran and Bryce Benhart caught early in their Husker careers. And I mean, look how it's turned out for him. He had great seasons, you know, closing in 2022 um, or 2021, I guess. And now is kind of like the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey in Philly. And like, who would have thought that if you would have, you know, watched any game from 2018 or 2019. So I really think it's quite admirable what you know, at least in this room, they're trying to do and build consistency. Um, and I think it's only going to be beneficial. I do, you know, it is of note, I guess, the new center thing, just keeping talking along the same lines. Uh, From all accounts, you know, I don't consider myself an offensive line savant, uh, but Ben Scott brings pretty high marks over from Arizona State. He had a really high run blocking grade, which I thought was super interesting. Uh, I don't know what and how Nebraska schematically will do things with the running game, but... When they had Cam Jurgens, they would pull him a lot, um, create lanes that way. So I'm really interested to see, you know, how Scott kind of takes command as the anchor there, and, and bringing back Notori is is huge too. Um, it's a guy that's fresh um, and you know looking to reprove himself after you know a really disappointing um, way to have not play. Uh, Uh, words just did not come out there that needed to but uh he uh he's a guy I'm really looking um because he you know fared quite well when he was on the field and he's a guy I'm looking to you know take a big step this year and it's just interesting that you know this offensive line and and this coach have stayed put despite kind of all the flack that they've all gotten um and so I don't know uh the, to borrow a phrase from Matt, I'm cautiously optimistic because it's really hard for the it's really hard for the group as a whole to be to play at a much lower level than it's been. Um, and you know, a really successful opening test against Minnesota, I think, is huge for this group too. I know we'll probably get into matchups at all at some point, but getting to face a really, really good Formidable physical Big Ten line is going to be a really good test for this group uh, to see how it you know shapes up early on and maybe a reward or maybe a you know regret of bringing that group back um, sort of intact like it's been. Uh, we're going to have a lot of questions answered about the offensive line and, and Donovan Rail's group on Thursday.
0: We'll wrap up our look at the offense with the wide receivers and tight ends. I, I know there's a lot of storylines in both groups, but I'm just going to call them the pass catchers, really. Um, a couple things that stand out to me. I'll let you guys riff on. Starting with you, Matt. Uh, no Wilbert, no waiver for Eric Gilbert yet. Uh, I'm not. I'm not optimistic on his chances of being able to play. The Xavier Betts departure, I think, was a big one for this team. I mean, that, that saga, I think, has finally come to a close. And Billy Kemp is wide receiver one. I'm going to call my shot and say it's the third straight year. We have a transfer receiver lead Nebraska in receptions and yards.
2: Yeah, I, I probably would agree with that. I'm curious. I I know I keep saying I'm curious about a lot with this team because there's just so much change and so many question marks with it. And I'd say no bigger than, than wide receiver where, you know, at times this unit in the off season has looked like, oh, this could be a, a really good group, especially if they add, like, if they get Xavier Betts back and then, you know, you can use Billy Kemp and, you know, the way he probably is best used for like, this could be a really fun group, especially with, you know, if Jeff Sims shows off an NFL arm talent that some people are claiming he has. Um, But now when you get close to the season, it's kind of, yeah, the cupboards are looking a little bare and, I don't know. Maybe one of these tight ends gets the get ends up leading the team in receptions. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how much they're really going to throw the ball in the first place. Like the offensive line has, makes the steps. The offensive line, you know, becomes a the you know the center of this offense. You know, the best unit on this offense. Then suddenly, like you don't have to be like what Nebraska was under Scott Frost with you know needing as many pass catchers as possible with speed like Wisconsin usually only has one to three good receivers a year and they've made the Rose Bowl yeah, they with <laughs> they've made the Rose Bowl with not great receiver course before so uh it's it's possible so i don't know if the if the running game makes big improvements this year it might not even be that big of a deal but the other thing i just i don't know i want to see if Thomas Fedoni is you know the real deal. Like he's been getting a lot of hype this off season, and I'm just at the point where you know I need to see something. So I I don't doubt that he's had good practices, but you know let's see let's see how this looks if he when he finally gets on the field and you know how he plays because they it seems like the the tight end room has got some really good options and that gets even better if you add Eric Gilbert, which not not don't. I'm not close enough to understand, you know, what's going on there at this point. But even, even
0: people that are close enough here don't understand what's going on at this point. So don't beat yourself up too bad. Just seems like the NCAA
2: being doing NCAA things.
0: <laughs> but
2: yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think the tight ends could also, you know, supplement some of that, you know, lack of depth in the wide receiver room.
1: Trusting the NCAA to make a morally correct or even semi-correct decision. Ugh. I I think that no news is probably bad news. Again, Matt and I both, we aren't close. It doesn't sound like people in the program really know what's going on, but it is kind of sad that we probably won't get to see Eric Gilbert. I mean, we'd ha- be happy to prove him wrong because, yeah, that tight ends group is something special. But going on, along the lines of, how Matt was referencing earlier, like Carolina Panthers fans getting mad and Matt rule mentions anywhere on social media. A lot of South Carolina fans are doing kind of the exact same thing with Marcus Satterfield mentions. Um, and a lot, uh, a big gripe that they had during his tenure there was the lack of usage of the tight end room uh, it became a story. I, I can't remember the, the name of the guy. He's now at Florida state
0: actually. And I think he's yeah, they had another top itself. tight end too. Yeah.
1: What what was the name, Austin?
0: I think it's Jaheim Bell, isn't it?
1: Yep, Jaheim Bell. Yeah. That's it. Um, a lot he was one of the
0: transfer targets, I remember.
1: Yeah. A lot of South Carolina fans sort of voiced frustration with how little he was used in the offense. And, you know, the usage of tight ends in general is something that, you know, people from his previous destination had to gripe with. So I'm really curious because now, obviously, you come here and – there are a lot of people around the program that are clamoring to see these tight ends in action, specifically Thomas Fedoni. I mean, the training wheels were kind of taken off a little bit during the spring game. He did a bit, but I mean, after all of the injury stuff he's gone through, I mean, you mentioned how Gabe Irvin will be or could be during this new strength and conditioning um, emphasis that Matt Rule is doing. I mean, Thomas Fedoni is another guy like after all the stuff he's been through, like I'm really interested. I'd be interested to know like how he's holding up, what his body's like, how he's recovering, like what sort of shape he's in compared to seasons past. Um, Because he's a guy that Husker fans have been chomping at the bit to see for like three or four years now at this one, ever since he committed. I mean, that was what 2020, 2019. No, not 2020 was
2: his first year, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's been a while since he committed and, you know, finally now for him to have this opportunity, I'm, cautious about the involvement and usage of Nebraska's tight ends. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it's more towards the less involved as opposed to more just based on what we know about Satterfield's history with tight ends, how they've been used and sort of how they've been used in Nebraska in recent years. I know it isn't the best example to compare previous regimes, but that room does have a lot of explosive athletes. And I am really curious to see what their involvement level is like. And then on the wide receiver point quickly, I was Interested, I guess, to see Josh Fleeks um, in the two there at the slot behind um, Billy Kemp. I know that a lot was made about the fact that he, I guess, just wasn't in shape
0: when fall camp started. Significantly overweight was the exact quote from Matt Rule about a guy he recruited to Baylor.
2: He had yeah, his, his somewhere was yance Summer. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> so to see uh, to see Josh Fleeks on the two deep uh, was really that kind of caught my eye. I know that in the wide receiver room, there's bigger headlines and stories everywhere. Uh, The rise of Alex Block to now being on scholarship and in a wide receiver one, or at least among the ones in the wide receiver room. And, you know, obviously Billy Kemp and IGC being back and in a number one role too. Does he count as a transfer? Because I'd like to throw him, I could throw his hat in the ring for potentially leading the team in receptions. I mean, he had... Gosh, that uh, that Northwestern game. You think back to a year ago in Ireland. He, you know, him. He had a great game in that one. With him and Casey had that had a great connection there. So I'm a IGC is a guy that I would not sleep on either. Having now been in the portal, been in the in the program, out of the program, and back in for quite some time. He's been hanging around for a while and. I wouldn't be surprised to see him sort of take that mantle Um, and him and Billy Kemp have both played a lot of college football as has Josh flakes. But IGC is a guy I, I certainly wouldn't count out um, as we get into the season. And you know, Jeff Sims is looking for guys to target and bees go to really curious. who That guy is, I wouldn't be surprised if it's IGC though.
0: Let's switch gears. Let's talk defense. The big news out of camp today black shirts were handed out so we'll go position by position or group by group with the black shirts uh, that's the thing defensive line Ty Robinson Nash Hutmacher and listed on the depth chart you had co-starters between Blaise Gunnerson and Cam Lenhart but it's Gunnerson that gets the black shirt the presumed starter against Minnesota I'm not gonna lie guys the defensive line despite how important it is and how big it will have to be against Minnesota is just kind of a blah position for me Right now, I'm not all that enthused by it. I mean, Ty Robinson's been around. I think it's now or never for Nash Hutmacher as well. Uh, I'm honestly most intrigued by newcomers, and that's Kai Wallen, the Juco transfer, uh, edge rusher, and Cam Lenhart. That's a guy that I think is going to get a pretty good timeshare with Blaze Gunnarsson, uh, at least through the non-conference, it would be my guess, but it's newcomers that excite me more than anything on this Nebraska defensive line.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I rem- if I have this backwards or not, but I feel like I remember back in the spring, rule was saying that you know the plan is not to just use eleven guys on defense. That he's going to do what? a lot of a lot of rotating. It's really going to be you know twenty guys. And honestly, especially with the defensive line, I'm kind of expecting some some big performances early in the year. Especially you know I think there's opportunity in this Minnesota game to I mean they. They got to the quarterback pretty well in that game last year. Granted, it was a completely different scheme, but uh, I I think there's opportunity there. And then against Colorado with, you know, their entire team being replaced, I think they could, you know, pretty much the first month up until the Michigan game have a, a pretty good run on this defensive, you know, front, front three or front six, whatever you want to call it, that, you know, they could, you know, sort of – Outperform their, you know, what they actually are, and then maybe it kind of re- regresses to the mean over the rest of the season, especially over the course of a Big Ten year. But I, I think it's a good mix of you know really talented young guys and experienced guys that are you know have had success and could really take a big jump here this year. So I I feel pretty confident that at least to start the year the the defensive line is going to look. A lot better than it did uh, week one last year, which is not saying much. <laughs> not.
1: Yeah, Raquan Buckley was another guy I was mm-hmm. sort of happy to see on the 2 deep too. I remember that there was quite a bit of fanfare around him when he committed. Um, that's, he is a gigantic individual as well. Um, huge frame, six 6'6". Um, what is he listed on the depth chart? uh 65295 yeah that is a unit of an individual um and with how intricate and complex this new 335 is going to be which is like the other big storyline of this off season um just how you know quickly slash not quickly it'll take for you know the 335 to really get up and running it's a pretty intricate and complex system that requires a lot of athletes and a lot of depth. Uh, and so you're going to see that tested along the defensive line, especially as you know that group tries to rotate and stay fresh against teams like Minnesota on Thursday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is a pretty good mix. You've got a lot of experience up front and a lot of really promising um, potential underneath. But yeah, Raquan Buckley was a guy I was interested in seeing in the two deep because it was a familiar name. Um, and so now with this opportunity, I don't, I don't believe he's really had, you know, a, quite a fair shot here since he's been here. I uh, use he another guy that committed in a previous regime and has been around the program a little bit, not super long, but I'm curious to see what he does with an opportunity. Uh, and it sounds like we'll see him at least a bit on Thursday night. So
0: that we will, we'll move back a level to the linebackers. Um, the one that wasn't a surprise was Luke Reimer. Makes sense. That's the guy that's played a lot of football, played some good football. Got to prove he can make it through a season healthy. John Bullock, uh, Alex's brother, Alex at wide receiver, John at linebacker. On the depth chart, he was listed as the backup to Luke Reimer, but apparently he's ahead of Javen Wright, who was listed as Nick Henrich's backup, um, but the reports are that Nick Henrich was a little bit banged up in the scrimmage, uh, may or may not be ready to go against Minnesota. So John Bullock gets a black shirt at linebacker. The surprise to a lot of people, though, was Chief Borders. He transfers in from Florida, and the reason that's a surprise is because according to the depth chart that we got um, on Friday, Chief Borders was listed uh, before MJ Sherman, but with the or, right? So it's coming down to a competition. There was so much off-season talk about MJ Sherman. As highly rated a recruit as he was out of high school, winning two national championships at Georgia, hearing the way his Georgia coaches Uh, Spoke about him not wanting him to leave as respected a voice he was in that locker room. And really as much as Nebraska got to know him in the spring, right? He was out in front of the media in the spring. He was one of the first guys out there during fall camp. But it's Chief Borders getting the start over MJ Sherman. At least it appears that way. I do think that it is a situation like you guys were talking about with the depth rotating through guys. Both will play their fair amount. Tony White, when asked today about it, said Chief Borders was more consistent throughout fall camp. Here's the thing. I don't know what went into this decision-making process. All I can do is take the coaches at their word. They haven't done anything to make me you know, disbelieve them at this point. right? If I was in practice and seeing something differently, I'd tell you. It's weird. It's not what I was expecting. I'm surprised by Chief Borders over MJ Sherman. But I'm willing to give it a chance because I haven't seen any of it. And because let's not forget, Chief Borders was in his own right, a pretty highly ranked prospect coming out of high school as well. So maybe we all expected MJ Sherman. Maybe Chief Borders just made a late push. Maybe MJ Sherman supplants him later in the season. But as surprising as it is, I think we have to be willing to give this coaching staff the benefit of the doubt, even in a decision as surprising as this one.
1: I think it's really interesting how sort of on the down low, this whole chief border situation has been and his role in the defense until right now. And I feel like that's kind of sort of intentional. I mean, just looking back on like a baseline level, you have a guy that like MJ Sherman that comes in from Georgia, like very highly touted. I mean, coming from a fantastic program. Uh, I mean, talk about, he was one of the bigger um, transfers Nebraska Nab this off season and Chief Borders was a big name in his own right, but he sort of has flown under the radar up until this point. And in a football
0: sense, he's been front and center on social media, but in a football sense, you've heard so little about him.
1: Right? Yeah, and even you know, from my position, I've seen quite a bit of him on social media, whether that be TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or elsewhere. But I think it's got to be something that's viewed from the lens of like this is intentional. They there hasn't been much about much word about him. Um, much fanfare, much hype, much hoopla. And then, you know, lo and behold, it's August 28th. And the guy has a black shirt and he's in line to start, um, in line to start at Minnesota. Uh, I really think that this is a guy that will surprise a lot of people, fantastic athlete, uh, great frame. And that is, you know, talking again, back to the three, three, five, that Jack position is really, really integral, those backers are going to be asked to have a lot of different responsibilities in that little stack there in the middle of the field uh, or wherever he'll be ending up lining up. Um, So, I mean... I like it. Um, it seems intentional by the staff and I'm really curious to see. Um, I I think I'm of the belief that he's going to, you know, reward the Nebraska coaching staff for that decision. And I think, you know, we could be sitting here in a couple months and he's far and away the most impactful player on Nebraska's defense. There's lots of opportunity there for someone to step up. Reimer's been a consistent guy, uh, throughout his Husker career as has Henrich. Um, but, I mean, that defense is kind of itching for a superstar to emerge. And maybe it's a guy like Chief Borders, who, as you mentioned, Dawson has been all over the place on social media and stuff. That could be a guy that could be the face of the defense.
2: I think, honestly, if, you know, both of these guys end up playing, it's a pretty good problem to have that, you know, they're splitting time. That, I think, you know, especially if MJ Sherman, you know, he kind of sets the tone and then if you're, you know, if you're Chief Borders, it's like, you know, I. I was a pretty highly touted recruit playing at a in S, a higher end sec school lately too. And granted, neither got the most playing time, but, but like, I think there was definitely, there could have been a little more motivation for, you know, a guy like chief borders in practice going up against, you know, a guy from Georgia, you know, getting all of these, uh, getting a little bit more hype coming in, but I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. I think it's a good problem to have. And, uh, I don't know. I really, I think, honestly, out of, even though it's a new scheme, I think out of all the positions, you know, linebacker and D-line are the ones that I'd, I'd say I feel the most confident in saying are are going to be, like, have a pretty good year. So I might be completely wrong on that, but I just, I think it's, again, a good mix of, you know, talented newcomers and especially a linebacker, you know, experienced guys that have had a lot of success in, in Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich, if they can stay healthy.
1: Yeah, Matt, I 100% agree with you. I was going to jump in and make add that really quickly. That's what we've talked about, a lot of experience. I mean, the backers and, and D-line should be really, really good.
0: Let's move it back one more level then. We've got the first three, the second three, now the five to get out of the way. Cornerbacks, I don't know if you guys have anything to add on. Quentin Newsom and Malcolm Hartzog seems like they locked up jobs pretty early. Good for them. Um, (laughs) Rover position, Isaac Gifford, again, kind of a coaching staff favorite, a guy that played well in a similar-ish role like that last year. That also makes sense. But two new safeties. Part of that has to do with Marquise Buford still recovering from injury, and you had a little bit of the drama there as Miles Farmer transfers out uh, right before fall camp. Uh, He goes to Syracuse. Honestly, if you're in Nebraska, you trade Tony White for Miles Farmer. I think that's an upgrade. I really do I mean Miles Harmer was a solid player. You would have liked to have had his experience around. I'm on the Tony White bandwagon, though. I think he's gonna be really good for this defense. But that leaves your your two black shirt safeties as Deshaun Singleton, who transferred in last season, didn't play a whole lot, but has really come on as of late. The coaching staff has absolutely raved about him. And Omar Brown, who the reports are kind of boomer bust, right? Maybe needs to be more consistent. But that's an FCS freshman, all American. Um Again, I would rather have you back, Landon, than Omar Brown. Uh, Yeah, you and I, but, you know, I'll settle for Omar Brown at this point. Um, The safeties intrigue me. That was a position that Nebraska had really stabilized a couple years ago with Deontay Williams and Markel Desmuke. You have the first year of new guys last year. Marquise Buford was playing well before he went down with that injury. I hope he comes back soon, but I'm excited to see these two guys that came into Nebraska with pretty substantial hype as potential impact contributors in year one really get a chance to shine here in year two.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I don't know. I, again, I'm going to go back to 2018 here and just, you know, wonder aloud, is is there going to be another Lamar Jackson situation where, you know, is there a guy that just, you know, struggles to buy into the, the new team and the new culture and, you know, starts to have those struggles, you know, expand onto the football field to the point where, I mean, Lamar Jackson got benched for a few games there in in 2018. So I don't know if that's – maybe that guy was Miles Farmer and the culture in the rest of the room is good. But, I mean, it's – again, it seems like they never have a problem getting enough talented uh, guys in that secondary corners and safeties. So I don't know how exactly they're going to play differently with, uh, within a three three five. That's something I'm excited to, you know, learn more about and watch, especially against uh, some of these big 10 quarterbacks they're, they're going to face. I think Calic Manis in this first game, I mean, we, we saw that arm last year. He can, he can make some throws and, you know, with some, some question marks at running back on, you know, who's going to be their new bell cow guy with, with Mo Ibrahim out. Like that secondary is going to get a pretty big test early on. And I'm, I'm sure Shadur Sanders in, uh, in week two is also going to, you know, test that yeah. secondary a lot. So they, uh, they better be up to it. Cause yeah, there's a, there's a few new starters there and I, uh, I think they're going to be good, but you know, I've been burned on that in the past. So a lot of potential there, but could be, you know, the opposite of the defensive line situation where they, they might start a little slow, but you know, once they get to, you know, the Peyton Thorne type quarterbacks and the, the season, things, you know, they start to gain more confidence.
1: Yeah, and on that point with the quarterback still face, don't forget uh, Rocky Lombardi has been in college for like oh. six years. Oh. And-, and That's what I
2: meant to say instead of Peyton Thorne, my bad. <laughs>
1: Both he and uh- – yeah, and Hank Bachmeyer, who are fifth-year guys are both coming to Memorial Stadium uh, in the non-conference, which, I mean, probably fine. Louisiana Tech looked really, really bad against a bad FIU team over the weekend. Um, but that's still two really, really experienced college football players that have been around the block and back and then some. Um, getting to go up against a young, relatively unproven, relatively untested secondary, at least on the back end. Um So yeah, I mean, they better be up for it because yeah, they're going to get tested early and often, but I tend to side with Nebraska's track record here of producing quality players and positions. Uh, They seem to have done a pretty good job with the folks that they've brought in thus far. And I know it's kind of comparing apples to oranges here since there's been a complete overhaul, but some guys were recruited and brought in during the last administration as well. So I'm really interested to see particularly the safeties because Nebraska has been so good there in recent years um, and see how they, you know, produce what their roles in the three, three three five like Matt, I'm excited to see it more in action this year and learn more about it. TCU ran it last year, um, I know, but it's kind of a it's a relatively new-ish kind of stranger at the college football level. So the role that those guys play um, in that will be really, really interesting to monitor. So
2: can I just add too about the whole three three five talk? And this goes to a bigger point that maybe I'll get into later on here, but I know it's getting a lot of attention that Nebraska's moving to a three three five, but I feel like it's not getting much talk that Wisconsin is also doing a, like they've been switching to a three-three-five defense this offseason. So I think the fact that it's multiple teams moving to this, you know, this new scheme, I might even be forgetting others. Those are just, you know, the, my alma mater in the place where I live. So, you know, I pay a little more attention to, you know, what's coming out of fall camp or spring camp and just, you know, press clippings but if there's you know several if not more teams starting to install the 335 i think that's going to make it you know teams are going to give it more attention and preparation during the, both the off season and during the regular season where you know some of these teams that you know faced wisconsin earlier in the year granted it'll probably be a different you know style of 335 i feel like there's a lot of variability in it from what i've heard but um i think a lot of these teams that faced wisconsin earlier in the year are going to be a little more prepared for it when they, uh, when they get Nebraska. And I I think a fun example of that is, you know, Minnesota, I think PJ Flexman expressing some concern about, you know, going up against the three, three, five, even though they faced it in the bowl game against Syracuse last year, It's like, they go against Nebraska. They had that game last year to end the season. Then you get it against Nebraska week one, and then game 12 against, uh, against Wisconsin. So I, I'm just a complete side note there. I'm fascinated to see, you know, how teams adjust to facing a scheme like that multiple times across the season.
0: All right. This would normally be the end of our time, but uh, there's no heart of a Husker tonight. No for Jackson. So we're going to keep going, but this will be our last little segment here on 93 seven, the ticket. Thanks for those who are tuned in on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. Uh, the Royals are on the radio currently down two nothing to the powerhouse pittsburgh pirates that's all right we're gonna gonna move on to the husker football schedule game by game record predictions you guys went through the depth chart you gave your thoughts and now i'm gonna hold your feet to the fire we get game by game predictions um landon we'll start with you nebraska versus minnesota on thursday do the huskers get it done or do the gophers hand them the l
1: if I had to make a uh, daily Nebraskan editor score prediction here, um, <laughs> I, I probably would side Minnesota. I know that the Golden Gophers are like a seven and a half point favorite, some, somewhere around a touchdown right now at the time of this show. I don't think that it's going to be that lopsided, um, but I still think Minnesota wins. Uh, I'll, I'll say 24 to 20. I know, I don't know if we're giving a score or not, but Robert, I think that we'll flash some. This, but ultimately, uh, Minnesota is kind of one of the bigger dogs, so to speak, in the Big Ten West. And for me, at least, it's kind of hard to fathom that with all of this, um, you know, not turmoil, but all this turbulence in the offseason with all of that's changed, it's really difficult for me to imagine Nebraska going into into U.S. Bank Stadium, which should be a great environment on Thursday night and coming out with a win. But I do think it'll hold a good account of itself. Um which is why I think it'll be Minnesota, but only by four or five.
0: All right, Matt, double L for the Huskers.
1: I'm going to take Nebraska in this one, honestly.
2: Uh, Mainly it's also just because looking across the the field to what Minnesota's got going on. I mean, we've seen it over the years with P.J. Fleck. They kind of struggle in September a lot of times. And, you know, they had a – I think they had a pretty strong start last year, but they were also playing, you know, New Mexico State, Western Illinois – Colorado and Michigan state, like all of those teams kind of turned out to be not great at all. So I, I think it's especially, you know, you got a new quarterback and a lot of other new pieces there in Minnesota. I, I think things are not quite, you know, stable there and they might not look like they usually do when Nebraska, I mean, they always play them in either October or November. So they're going to see a little bit different of a Minnesota here. I think you know, Chris Ottman Bell against all these new, uh, against this new look secondary is a fascinating matchup. And just Nebraska's offensive line against that D line is also quite the challenge. But honestly, I think, you know, Nebraska, the biggest part of it is I think Nebraska's just due for some luck. And I don't know if it comes in turnovers or, or crazy plays or mistakes from Minnesota or what, but, you know, I've seen enough of these Minnesota. And it's also just, you know, as weird as it sounds, it's kind of a vibes pick too in that, you know, I feel like every year it's, you know, the Thursday night game on Fox for the big 10 matchup to open the season. And it was Purdue against Northwestern in 2018, uh, Minnesota against Ohio state a few years ago, Purdue against Penn state last year. seems like the home team always loses that game. So I'm actually, I'm going to take Nebraska, I'll say, you know, 21-14 in this one. I think it's going to be ugly and (laughs) not many possessions, but I'm I'm actually going to take Nebraska to win this one.
0: I've got Minnesota winning. Um, If the element of surprise is real and Cali Commandus turns it over a couple times, Nebraska has a chance. But if Minnesota sticks with the run consistently and they come out and they handle their their turnover uh, off the field better, I think they win. Okay, Matt, we'll bounce back to you for game two. Colorado, Nebraska on the road for the second straight week. Huskers or Buffs in this one. This feels like a defining game of
2: year one for Matt Rule, and that just game
0: two, dang it. <laughs> yeah,
2: but it's one where it's like kind of like it wasn't in, in 2019 for Scott Frost, where it's like if they're good, they take care of business here. I I thought I knew a lot about Colorado. You know, I followed them, but I mean, there's so many transfers. I don't know. The main thing with them is I have no idea what they have in the trenches. I know they've got some some interesting guys that are, you know, a little undersized as Nebraska media is made fun of over the summer with the itty bitty Buffaloes. Uh, so I'm skeptical about, you know, everywhere outside of the trenches, but I have no idea what they have on their lines. So I'm, I'm going to take Nebraska actually kind of big in that one, maybe, you know, like a 35 to to seven in that one. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they just kind of, if it just turns into a boring game with, uh, with not much drama, which is uh, almost unfathomable for a <laughs> unfathomable for a Nebraska football season.
1: Yeah, you sort of hit the nail right on the head there, Matt. If Nebraska is good, or if Nebraska just doesn't shoot itself in the foot, it feels like this is a game that they should take advantage of here. I, you know, unfortunately have not covered a Nebraska Colorado game. One of the great regrets oh. that, that series sort of took a hiatus uh, during my years on the beat, but. I kind of think it's going to be really difficult for Deion Sanders to turn this ship around so early. I think the biggest issue for Nebraska in that game is going to be maintaining themselves in the spectacle. Because it is going to be a show um, for that first. It's going to be it's Colorado's home opener, correct, at Folsom Field. The first game of Deion yep. Sanders' tenure at, at this week. Yeah, they're yep. going to be at TCU, a game which they will probably lose by many points. Um, but, I mean, the biggest thing for Nebraska there is just going to be to stay within themselves. Um, I do think Nebraska wins. Just, you know, I don't know if this is a gut feeling or what, but I feel like it's going to be really, really close. Um, I will go Nebraska- Maybe 23-17. I feel like that's going to be a game, too, that's going to be really, really ugly, um, kind of to Matt's point, because I think both teams have a lot of figuring out to do. And it's going to come as the season progresses. But I just don't really have a lot of faith in what Colorado is going to look like, at least in year one. Dion will make them a competitive program in some time, but I just don't know if that's going to come this year.
2: And I, I, I want to go back. I, I want to spend a little more time on this one. But I think this is also a game where, you know, having two SEC caliber athletes at linebacker uh, will make a huge difference potentially, you know, dealing with some of these guys from there like Sanders and uh, Hunter, I believe is the other one. And so. the running back. Got.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Also, can I just, you know, I don't know if I'm going to get the chance to do this again on this show since we're mostly basketball but uh, should I save Colorado stories for uh, now, or you know, maybe game week?
0: I think we're gonna have to save those.
2: Okay, because so I that was up. 2019 was an experience. Let's yeah, <laughs> it, it's worth like I need like probably 10 minutes for that whole weekend.
0: Stay tuned, that'll be coming. I've got Nebraska beating Colorado as well. Um, I have them winning three in a row: Colorado, Northern Illinois, and Louisiana Tech. Uh, either of you feel differently?
1: No, I got them four and zero. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think they'll go three and one, but I guess just word to the wise because these, especially this non-conference slate, never tends to go as planned. So if Nebraska is walking out of this two and two, I wouldn't be surprised either. Watch out for Rocky Lombardi and Northern Illinois. I think that of the two, they look poised to give Nebraska the most trouble.
0: All right, then on to Michigan. Is anyone playing the upset card here?
1: No, I think this is
2: going to be a beatdown. down. So uh, I think especially if Nebraska's 4-0 going into this, they're going to get, you know, a little ahead of their skis. Things are going to be really exciting and that's going to be fun. But unless Michigan has some, you know, internal issues, where kind of like, you know, some of these Ohio state teams that haven't played up to their talent. I, I think Michigan's just going to come in and steamroll them. I don't, I'd honestly put this one at like fifty-six to three.
1: First game back for Harbaugh, uh, which is a mm-hmm.
2: note. Uh, oh, that got changed, didn't it? Yeah, right. It's his second game back now. Oh, no, it's is that,
0: third, isn't it?
1: He's he it's a three-game. Oh, yeah,
0: he gets Rutgers first. He gets Rutgers first. Then Nebraska. Yeah,
1: I can I can't keep up with what's been going I know. on during this, this off season. <laughs> um, but Regardless, yeah. the back. Yeah, no, I I really don't. It really would be nice. I mean, if you look at the schedule, the opportunity to pick off a team like that is there – it really would be cool. I don't think it'll come this year, but it really would be cool for Nebraska to win one of these sorts of games when a high ranked team is coming to Memorial stadium. I Think back about that. I think about that Michigan game in 2021, a lot and just like how, what all could have been different had Nebraska just handled its business, not turned the ball over and won that game. And I do think that there will be an ounce of, you know, regret and maybe some payback there, but this Michigan team is going to be really, really talented this year. Um, And I don't see Nebraska picking them off in this instance.
0: Nor do I. And so that brings us to the end of the first half of the season. Nebraska gets a clean split. They play six games, get their bye week, play the last six. But you have Illinois on a short week after Michigan. To me, that's a recipe for disaster. I don't know if Illinois is going to be as good as they were last year. But going from a physical Michigan team to a physical Illinois team, I'm not as worried about the short turnaround because Nebraska's gone, uh, you know, every year in November with a short turnaround. I think they've proven they can handle that aspect of it. I just think Michigan's going to beat them twice. I really do. So it might be close, but I think Nebraska falls just short at the end, and they lose to Illinois. Landon, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, uh, I will side with the fighting Illini here as well. Old Burt is bringing back an experienced team, and I think that is going to matter a ton, especially in – as we get as we get you know further and further into Big Ten play, and I do think there is you know some regression to the mean, do especially after a little bit of a hot start. So I'll take Illinois. I don't know, twenty-seven to twenty.
0: Matt, tell us we're wrong.
1: This is a tough one, but honestly,
2: I I'm kind of taking the coward's way out here. I'll make an actual prediction, but I think you know Illinois has a bear of a September schedule. You got Toledo, then. At Kansas, you know Memorial Stadium Friday night primetime ESPN two, then big noon kickoff at home against Penn State, and then they get you know Casey Thompson revenge game against FAU followed by at Purdue. They could, I mean, they could be anywhere from five and zero and in the top ten after beating a Penn State, which I mean they might have the defense still to do. I don't know, or they could be like two and three or even one and four with uh, with that schedule. So I think if they're, if they're rolling, I think they're going to kill Nebraska Friday night, you know, especially after that. But I guess if I'm rolling off of my Illinois or my last prediction, I think if Nebraska does lose like 56 to three against Michigan, they're probably not going to have that many injuries from that game because starters will be pulled early. So it's not like they're going to all be completely beaten down from that game. If they, if they only play half a game or something. So I actually think Nebraska might might win this one just because there's a lot of question marks about Illinois, especially they lost like all of their talented offensive players. So I'm going to take Nebraska in this one. Kind of, I'll say 14 to 12. This, this is Friday oh, night. Friday night, night
0: gross. Yeah. Ugh. Wonderful. Okay, so we're halfway through. Uh, I have Nebraska at one one. I have Nebraska at three and three. Landon has Nebraska 3 and 3. Matt the Optimist has Nebraska at 5 and 1. Illinois is a swing game and we'll get to a couple more here in just a sec. You have the bye week after Illinois. You go against Northwestern for homecoming. If Nebraska loses this game, my gosh.
1: Yeah, Nebraska by multiple scores there. Uh, it's really tough to make out what Northwestern's going to look like this year. Um, that should be a la the 2021 56-7 to thumping. Uh, I would be surprised if it wasn't along those lines.
0: I'll take
1: 42 nothing.
0: There you go. Uh, enough said about that one. Okay, then we move on to one of the more interesting games on the schedule to me. That's Purdue. I have the Huskers winning this one because it's at home. Uh, Hudson Card has gotten rave reviews out of fall camp. I think he's good. I just don't know what the loss of Payne Durham, um, Charlie Jones, all those guys being gone. Aiden O'Connell, I think, was still slightly underrated. Maybe not you know, a superstar, but I think he was so important to that program and what it meant. I think Jeff Brom leaving the big identity change is going to have some growing pains. And for that reason, I take Nebraska in a one-score game. I think
2: I've picked Nebraska too many times here lately, and they're six and one on my schedule. So I'm actually going to take Purdue. I can talk myself into Purdue winning this game, especially if you know if Nebraska's six and one. They're finally back bowl eligible. They blow out Northwestern, and then you know, got a what you think is a winnable game against Purdue coming up right after that. So I th- I think there might be a letdown spot where you know a passing attack like that could cause problems. And then I mean Ryan Walters incredible defensive mind. So maybe by by mid season those guys are, you know, playing up to stuff. And, you know, one of those patented Nebraska random Big Ten home losses in mid to late October.
1: Yeah, I was thinking along the same lines. I, I, I'll i take Purdue here, too. I really like Hudson Card. I feel like Purdue's kind of flying under the radar a little bit this year. Obviously, what they lost is a lot, but um, I think that bringing an experienced quarterback like that is really going to help. A lot of new faces, but who knows? Let's see. I think maybe Purdue can get it done.
0: All right, so from Lincoln to East Lansing, Nebraska goes on the road uh, to the woodshed. They go up to face Michigan State. Landon, your thoughts on Mel Tucker and the Spartans?
1: Uh, I'm not very high on him, but I mean, gosh, winning in East Lansing has proven a quite difficult endeavor in recent years for Nebraska, but this is one I'll give to him. Who knows? I mean, maybe by this time I'm in the season, Nebraska can get rolling here and make a little bit of a late push. So I'll, who I'll take Nebraska, um, Michigan state, who is even there. They've got a lot of, uh, lots to replace. Who's the Spartans quarterback this year, even?
0: I believe it's going to be Noah Kim is the starter out of uh, Virginia. Some 93-7, the ticket ties there.
1: Huh. Um, I think that, I mean, you talk about uh, teams that have lost a lot. Michigan State has lost a great deal. Uh, Reed, Thorne gone. Um, They won four they went to the same high school um people are uh, going to miss that storyline this year of college football but uh yeah um i think that you know this could be the signature road win uh, i know they'll be colorado but colorado was not going to be very good um so i'll give this one to nebraska yeah i i think they'll win i don't know if i yeah
2: i i just it's more about i don't really have high expectations for michigan state in this one so yeah i'll i'll take nebraska they'll be yeah, they'll be at 7-2 and two with, I don't know, like a 27-21 win at Michigan State.
0: I've got Michigan State winning this one. This game, Purdue, um, and then the next game on the schedule are, for me, the toughest to predict, and that's Maryland. Maryland usually wears down in November. They've played a gauntlet. Um, it's kind of the, the college football version of something we love to talk up on this podcast, the uh, the Fran February fade. Um, We just move it out East a little bit. So I understand that that's true, but I still think this is an eight, nine win Maryland team. I think they out athlete Nebraska almost across the board. And that worries me if the weather's really, really bad and Nebraska has some semblance of a run game, it has a chance, but I think I just trust Maryland a little bit more even coming into Lincoln. So give me the Terps on this one.
2: This is one. I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine, especially if this becomes that NBC primetime game. It's hard for me to imagine Maryland winning at Nebraska on a primetime, like November night game. But I mean, you look at their schedule, there's, there's a realistic chance that, yeah, they're like, you know, only one or two losses going into this game. And if that's the case, they'll be, they'll be pretty confident, but I'll, I'll take Nebraska in this one uh i think it'll be a fun one 35 31 something like that i think that they're due for some luck this year
1: <laughs> yeah i i'll probably i'll keep siding with matt here yeah i i really especially this late in the season i don't know um Maryland will come in flying high, but I could see this as maybe a little letdown spot for the Terps. Um, they got Penn State the week before at home. Um, if depending on how results go there, going to Nebraska the following week could be a little bit of a letdown spot for old Talia and pals. Um, so I'll take Nebraska and what should be a pretty fun home night environment. Maybe, um, yeah, I do think it'll be a little bit higher scoring. So I'll go, shoot, I'll go 31,
0: Nebraska. Shootout. Sign me up for that. Um, Okay. To finish up here, we're going to let the person that lives in this state finish up. So Wisconsin's next on the schedule. So we'll go Landon, then Matt. To me, this is the narrative battle, right? Matt rule versus Luke fickle. It's not going to be Nebraska, Wisconsin. It's philosophy versus philosophy who made the better head coaching hire. That's going to be the, the big picture takeaway from this. Wisconsin's thrilled with getting Luke fickle. Nebraska is excited by Matt rule. I, I I don't fully understand all the love for Wisconsin. I just still think they're better than Nebraska. So I think Camp Randall continues to prove a bugaboo for the Big Red. So give me the Badgers in Madison.
2: This is where my uh, my hometown hey, you're, expertise uh, comes in. You're going, in second. With
0: this. You're going oh. second. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, we're going oh. reverse.
1: Oh, reverse. Okay, I see. I see what you. I see where you were going there. Um. Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin, I think, is going to be really good this year. Um, I really like Tanner Mordecai a lot. um, And this is just one of those where I could see both of the last two teams on Nebraska's schedule um, sort of, I don't know. I don't know, I guess, but I, I like the additions Wisconsin's made. I think that the move to up tempo is really going to suit them. And the thought of going up against Braylon Allen in mid to late November at camp Randall really doesn't sound fun. No matter who's on Nebraska's defensive line, or in the linebacker room. Um, so I think Wisconsin takes this one. Um, Cause yeah, I think the Badgers are going to be really good this year and the big 10 West race is going to be a lot of fun too. And I can see, you know,
0: Wisconsin making it out of that pack.
1: So I like the Badgers here.
0: All right, Matt, hometown analysis time. Go for it.
1: All right. My little nugget is that
2: November 18th. Oh yeah. Going to Camp Randall. It's going to be an electric crowd. Oh boy. Like that sounds daunting. Wrong. That weekend is opening weekend of deer hunting. I was at the, I was at the Nebraska Wisconsin game. It was Senior Day for Wisconsin in two years ago, twenty twenty one, the Xavier Betts pass interference game. Mm. There was again, they were playing for a divisional title. Was still there. It was Senior Day, and the crowd was half empty. So because again,
0: deer hunting season.
2: It's opening weekend of deer hunting season right before Thanksgiving. So I don't think the crowd, and plus, again, some of the students just leave early. So and go home and, you know, ditch those last few days before uh, Thanksgiving. So I don't think the environment is going to be as, you know, intimidating as, as you might think. Um, I'm skeptical on Wisconsin this year. I think they've made a lot of very extreme changes, you know, changing both their, uh, their Offensive and defensive philosophy, and a lot of the talk I've heard out of there sounds like stuff that I heard and out of Lincoln in 2018. So I guess I saw one today. Braylon Allen was saying, you know, only thing I don't know is you know how much we're going to score. Like we got to start picking the scores, like things like it was something like that that was really confident for a complete new uh, new system. And I think there's some you know some big chance possible pitfalls in their schedule, like. If they lose, especially they got Iowa, Illinois, Ohio State, you know, middle of the year for October, they could lose all three of those games. And then, you know, by November, the you know, the momentum's not there. But I do think they're gonna win this game. And I think honestly, I think they're gonna have like a midseason swoon and then you know, beat Indiana, Northwestern, and Nebraska. And they're gonna get a lot of hype going into next year, probably. But yeah, I'm gonna take Wisconsin in a another really fun Nebraska, Wisconsin game. I'll go, uh, yeah, I'll go like 42, 38 Wisconsin in this one. I think it's going to be going to be close.
0: All right. Now we'll send it right back to you, Matt, Nebraska (laughs) versus Iowa. The Huskers did the dang thing. Uh, the heroes trophy came home last year. Nebraska denies Iowa a shot at the big 10 championship game appearance. Do the Huskers have two in a row in them after losing seven in a row?
2: Um, this is tough because I I don't know, I think the hype for Iowa sort of warranted. They they actually made, you know, some, I don't know if they're even hard decisions, but they made decisions that, you know, improved the roster where it needed to be. But I still have questions about that offensive line. I mean, one thing no one really talks about from that Nebraska game last year was, I mean Osh- Oshon Mathis was in the backfield, seemingly every play in the second half of that game. So and that that offensive line in the last couple of years has just left a lot to be desired, to say the least. Uh, they're coming off of playing Illinois. You know, I, I originally thought I was gonna be like, OK, I'll take Nebraska to lose these last two games. But honestly, I think I'm going to talk myself into Nebraska, you know, finding a way to win this one and maybe even comfortably like getting some payback for some of those years that I was just waxing Nebraska in this spot. I'll say uh, Nebraska wins this one like thirty-five to fourteen or something, and they'll be nine and three, and then just get obliterated in whatever bowl game they end up in for nine and four. So, I think that's gonna be my pick.
0: All right, Landon, I know you haven't lived in Iowa very long, but you are still a resident of the state. So, uh, give us your your Iowa insights.
1: Yeah, I don't have many, um, but I do think that Matt mentioned Wisconsin being a team to like really monitor where they're at with a lot of the change they made towards the end of the season. Iowa is another one, too, though Iowa's schedule is much less formidable at the end of the season. Um, I really I mean they made changes but yeah I mean it was really hard to keep continuing at the rate that they were I think a stunningly competent Iowa Hawkeyes team especially offensively is one that's kind of like I was kind of become this like sexy pick to represent the Big Ten West uh, I'm kind of seeing it everywhere so that gives me some doubts a little bit because those teams that are trendy in the preseason kind of have a hilarious way of falling on their face um, and I could Kind of, sort of, like when I imagine what Iowa's season is going to look like, there is a very strong and very real world in which like we've reached the end of November and there are a multitude of things that have just gone hilariously wrong for Iowa uh, namely offensively with you know their coordinator situation with uh with Brian Ferentz and all of the hoopla that's been made about the offensive goals that this team needs to reach I really do like Cade McNamara a lot they've made some good offensive additions but I don't know, like I'm going to bank on the more likely in my mind scenario that Iowa has reached some sort of hilarious train wreck and it comes to an end in Lincoln. Um, And I'll take Nebraska uh, to do the thing two years in a row. Um, And I think that's seven and five for me, but I'll take Nebraska. um, Shoot, I'll take them 24 to 13.
0: That's nine and three for Matt. That's seven and five for Landon. And once again, I live up to my reputation as the hater. I have Nebraska at 5-3 entering uh, November. I have them losing out. Michigan State's a coin flip. I get to see that going both ways. Maryland's a coin flip. Again, they have to prove me wrong. That's where I'm at with this team. They have to prove me wrong. You can talk me into them winning 11 of the 12 games on their schedule. You can talk me into losing 12 of the 12 games on their schedule. So uh, until they prove it, until they actually – Get to you know quadruple zeros on the score clock for the sixth time, leading. I'm I'm not willing to pick them. I want them to. I want them to so badly. It's been far too long. I'm just not willing to go out on that limb yet. So that'll wrap it up. A long edition of the Corner Three podcast. Well, not really podcast. It's a radio show, but we're podcasting since uh, the Royals are on radio. Big shout out to Matt and Landon for taking time. uh, an hour and a half instead of just our regular hour, but uh, great to get their thoughts on football. We'll get back to basketball next week. So for Matt and Landon, this is Austin Norman signing off of the Corner 3 podcast. If you missed it, check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Spotify, Apple, all those places. Or you can go find the uh, the replay of the live broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. Again, no heart of the Husker with Bershawn Jackson. He is off tonight. So that'll do it for Ticket Weeknights. The Royals are on the radio. So uh, go definitely tune in there. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more college basketball insight again for the fellas. This is Austin Norman signing off. We'll talk to you tomorrow.